Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Coming up on today's show, our associate editor, Seth Barron, talks with the Manhattan Institute's vice president for research, Howard Husock, about his new project, the Civil Society Awards. If you've listened to some of our recent episodes, you've probably heard us talk a bit about them. It's a really fantastic award. Four nonprofit organizations from anywhere in the country will receive $25,000 each for their efforts in tackling some of our most pressing social challenges. To learn more about the program, you can go to the Manhattan Institute's website or simply visit www.civilsocietyawards.com. That's it for me for today. The conversation between Howard and Seth begins after this. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to 10 Blocks, the official podcast of City Journal. This is your host for today, Seth Barron, associate editor for City Journal. The Manhattan Institute is a believer in the power of ordinary people to take initiative and tackle social problems. Howard Husock is vice president for research and publications at the Manhattan Institute. He directs the Tocqueville Project and its Civil Society Awards program, which is still accepting nominations. Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Seth. So we hear this term a lot, but what is really meant by civil society? Well, one of the ways to think about the civil society that we have in the United States is to think about other societies that don't have civil society. So for instance, why does China block and censor the internet? Because the Chinese government is afraid of even Little League Baseball anything that organizes independently and can be a a source of independent thought, dissent, potentially independent power. And we in the United States are surrounded by that kind of civil society, so much so that it's like saying that the air is filled with oxygen. We have so much of it. In any community, you have the historical societies, you have sports and recreation leagues, all sorts of things. And we have larger civil society institutions, such as the Boy Scouts, the Red Cross. All of these have bubbled up, not because government created them, but because ordinary citizens got together and formed them and maintained and sustained them. Those are our civil society. It's somewhere between government and the family. Okay. And um, what does Tocqueville have to do with civil society? Well, Alexis de Tocqueville, the the French political scientist who uh, came to the United States in the 1840s under the guise of examining penitentiary conditions and then went around the country doing the the best first uh, examination of what American society was like and his insights still redound. Uh, He was struck by the extent to which Americans in all places— in all sorts of fields, did what he called formed associations. And he regarded that as quite different from his native France, which then and now is far more centralized. So government stems from Paris. Decisions are made from Paris. The United States is highly decentralized in our government, somewhat less so than it used to be. And even within that structure, there's 
just a tremendous number of things. Think of local food banks, all sorts of things that are not associated with the government, but yet serve public purposes. I see. Uh, how about religious organizations? Do they count? Absolutely. Religious organizations, because under the First Amendment, people think of First Amendment as a free speech amendment, and of course it is, but it says there should be no establishment of religion. Well, that means that you have all sorts of religions bubbling up. There's no state religion the way there is in Europe, obviously the way there is in the Islamic world. And so because you have this freedom to do all sorts of things under the religious umbrella, religious organizations do exactly that. And uh, the history of uh, uh, Catholic hospitals, Catholic schools, Jewish day schools, uh, you can go on and on. But I think people understand that as being uh, part and parcel of the fabric of American life. Now, there's a tendency in American politics, particularly from the left, to see a lot of these functions, uh, social service functions, as really being the domain of the government. So is there a conflict then between government and civil society uh, from that perspective? I definitely think so. I'm, I'm about to publish a book whose working title is Who Killed Civil Society? And uh, civil society in the United States is not dead, but it has been uh, uh, withering somewhat. And partly that's because today, many of what were once independent charitable organizations now contract with the government to provide services. And there's a real tension there because you provide a different kind of service when you're a contractor with the government. Government exists to respond to problems. Government doesn't exist to set norms, to set standards, to tell people in advance, well, this is a good way to live, the way churches do, the way the Boy Scouts do. And so as government has grown and contracted and created what some people call the nonprofit state, it has created a tension. And if you believe that we should be reacting to problems and the government can effectively create problems, well, then you do have a critical eye towards civil society. And of course, as again with my China example, if you, if you believe that uh, government is the agent of control of society uh, generally, then you really don't like civil society. There's a thesis that Americans are becoming more isolated, uh, even though we're all supposedly so connected now with social media and technology, but that in reality, uh, there's a lot of loneliness uh, happening. Uh, and, you know, I've heard this thesis, the bowling alone thesis, right. that people go and just do things by themselves that maybe they used to do in groups. Uh, now, this isn't really getting to, you know, big social issues like, you know, food banks or, uh, you know, helping the poor or anything like that. But it does seem like an important question. How does the decline of civil society uh, impact just how individuals live? I think it does a lot. So I think that, you know, if you're a member of, of a church and you have to think about organizing uh, the family picnic, well, you don't organize that by yourself. You organize it with other members of the church. And then you socialize with those people. And then if you're sick, maybe they help you. Or if they're sick, maybe you help them. And so the fact of the institution and your membership in it, and in all kinds of institutions, not just religious institutions, creates social fabric, meaning connectedness 
among people. People don't get together for its own sake necessarily. Some do. They're social people. But when you have a reason to get together, then you have a chance uh, to get to know people. And so I, I think that uh, Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone thesis uh, reflects that isolation, and he actually tracked membership in bowling leagues. That's where he got the idea, and seems like it's true. Okay. Well, the Manhattan Institute is a think tank, uh, Manhattan Institute for Public Policy, uh, and you know the, it produces research and things like that. What's its stake in civil society, and what are the civil society awards? Well, uh, civil society is something that organically happens, and to the extent that public policy suppresses civil society, we have a public policy take on it. So, for instance, when you, when you uh, take foster care, which used to be very much handled by religious groups and, and sub-secular groups, for instance, the Children's Aid Society in, uh, here in New York, which began in the 1850s, in part to uh, oversee privately foster care. When the government uh, assumes that responsibility, not only has it done it quite poorly, as a matter of fact, but it squeezes out all of that association effect that we were talking about a moment ago. And so to the extent that we at the Manhattan Institute have a public policy view on this, we don't want that kind of thing squeezed out. We don't think government does a lot of these things as effectively. I don't, anyhow, uh, as the Manhattan Institute representative on this subject. And we lose some of the uh, connectiveness that comes with organizing things uh, civilly. And so our Civil Society Awards program uh, seeks to recognize groups who are active locally around the, the United States that are seeing a problem or a need, not necessarily a problem, a need. It could be a vacuum. It could be kids don't have enough to do, but it doesn't have to be a problem. Uh, a reason to organize something, and they go and do it themselves. And we believe that by recognizing them, we create the conditions that over time it will become clear that, well, maybe government doesn't have to do everything because it doesn't do them as well. So it's worthwhile as a public policy organization to recognize groups who help ex-offenders adjust to post-prison society, to help new immigrants learn English. I could go on in that vein. Well, why don't you? What are some, who are some of the groups who have received the award? Right. Well, we have a civil society fellows program in which uh, past award winners are now actually working with us as adjunct fellows of the Manhattan Institute. And we're promoting their work the way we promote the work of our fellows generally, like your great work, Seth, at City Journal. Uh, so uh, I'll tell you who the three fellows are. Uh, uh, Luma Muffla runs something called the Fuji's Academy. It started in Atlanta, Georgia. She has two more schools now in Ohio. Luma is a refugee herself from uh, Jordan. She's a, uh, a gay woman who found she had no uh, life she could live in the, in the uh, Muslim world and started a school specifically for refugee children because she looked at the refugee population. She saw some kids come in, even though they were 12 or 13 years old, they were illiterate in their native language. And if they were tracked into the public schools, into the first grade, or the sixth grade rather, they'd be lost. So she developed a new education model, and she's doing this 
and she wants to spread it across the country. Uh, uh, a young woman named Sharpel Welch in Shreveport, Louisiana. She was a single mother herself, a teen mother. She went into the army. She came out, got higher education, went to work for community college. And then she and her husband decided they were going to move into a home called a friendship house in the middle of one of the poorest neighborhoods, black neighborhoods in the Deep South. She's African-American herself. And be a model for the neighborhood about how married life should work. And she's doing that. She lives every day that life. And kids come in to be tutored after school and to learn welding from her husband. This is the old settlement house tradition, which I've written about in the past, settling in poor neighborhoods to help guide people on the right path. And then there's a young man named uh, Reed Porter, who was an evangelical Christian, who uh, uh, took it upon himself to use his legal talents, he's a trained attorney, and to move to South and West Dallas, uh, very poor drug-riddled neighborhoods, and to use the law to shut down drug houses as public nuisances. And he manages to convince, and this is heroic, uh, residents of those neighborhoods to swear out complaints against these hubs of crime that are selling drugs, being centers of prostitution, violence, and to swear out complaints against them in court so that the houses are then shut down and the owners are put on notice that if you do this again, you're, you could lose the house because you're a public nuisance. So these are people who, they got these ideas out of their own heads. They didn't respond to a request for proposal from the Department of Health and Human Services. This stuff bubbled up. They have large numbers of volunteers. They raise their money privately. That's what civil society is, and that's why we want to re uh, recognize it through our award. So if one of our listeners knows of a worthy cause, a worthy organization, what should they do if and they want to uh, nominate them for a civil society award? Uh, how do they go about doing it? And what is the Civil Society Award exactly? The Civil Society Award is a $25,000 award. Uh, and there's a, a banquet here in New York where they get uh, presented uh, in the fall. Uh, yeah, the, as they say on public television, the lines are open. Nominations are open. Uh, $25,000. Nominate a local uh, organization, you know, especially one with deep ties in the, in the community, and you go to civilsocietyawards.com. That's civilsocietyawards.com. There's a form. Fill it out. If you don't want to fill out every question, that's okay. Just get the name in, and we'll take a close look at it. And uh, if it's a really good one, we'll come to your town and look at it, look at it closely. Uh, that sounds great. So you heard, Howard, if you'd like to nominate an organization for the Civil, so Civil Society Award, please go to Manhattan Institute's website and follow the links or go to civilsocietyawards.com. Uh, don't forget to check out Howard's work at cityjournal.org. We'd also love to hear your comments about today's episode on Twitter at cityjournal, hashtag 10blocks. If you like our show and want to hear more of it, please leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. This is your host, Seth Barron. Howard, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Seth. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.